I don't know if you all know this, but I am a, um, I'm an opera connoisseur. So I'm going to show you a little opera here just for a second. We're in the book of Philippians again today, by the way. My favorite opera singer. It's actually the only opera singer I know. Luciano Pavrotti, everyone. There he is. Yes. Just if you don't know, that's not English. Uh, just so you know. I don't know who he is. Okay, now listen, listen. Can you turn it up just a little bit, Chris? Okay, that's when he's, when he's saying, ay, 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 how many of you thought the next line was, I am the Frito Bandito? Anybody? Okay, good. Not just me. Good, good, good. All right, I'm going to click to the next thing. All right, there he is. Now, it was interesting. I read about him the other day. Um, when Pavrote was young, his dad understood that he had a, a, a gift. He, he could sing. He was really good at it. And, and so he uh, took lessons from a tenor, and obviously he has made it in in opera, which I, I don't know if you care, but that's evidently he's one of the best. And, and he also, when he was in college, became uh, educated in, he got a degree as a teacher. So he, he goes to his dad after he receives his college degree in, in teaching, and he, he said, Daddy, do I, need to be, do I need to be a singer and a teacher? And this was the advice his dad gave him. And I think it's brilliant. He said, if you try to sit on two chairs, you'll fall between them. For life, you must choose one chair. Now, Pravrotre is probably big enough to sit on two chairs. But back in the day, maybe he was younger and littler. And he said, you can't sit on two chairs. You have to pick something to do. And this is what Pavrote writes about this advice. I chose one. It took seven years of study and frustration before I made my first professional appearance. And it took another seven years to reach the Metropolitan Opera. And now I think whether it's laying bricks, writing a book, whatever we choose... We should give ourselves to it. Commitment, that's the key. Choose one chair. Today we're talking about focus, okay? How to, the, the joy of maintaining your focus. Now, I am a self-diagnosed ACHD, ACDC. I'm, I have something. Uh, I can't always keep my focus, whatever that is. Uh, uh, and, and so today we're going to kind of build on a verse we saw a few weeks ago. Um, we're kind of at the end of chapter 3 of Philippians. Next week we start chapter 4, so we're going to wrap up chapter 3 in Philippians. If you have your Bible or device, that's where we're going to be. But a couple of weeks ago we looked at this verse. This one thing I do, he's talking about focus. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I, I maintain a focus. So, Today we're going to talk about, we're going to look at about five verses where he says at the end of chapter 3, this is some advice on maintaining your focus. All right, so if you have your outlines, you might want to pull them out, and here we go. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. By the way, I'm going to read all this, and then we're going to kind of go back and dissect it. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many 
whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are, are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they uh, think only about life here on this earth. But we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He'll take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Um, if you've ever read a leadership book, lots of times they talk about Cortez. This is a guy named Cortez, and back in 1519, he uh, traveled to Mexico, and, and his team of about 700 sailors landed. And, and as legend has it, nobody knows if this is actually true, but Cortez, when his party landed in Mexico, he burned the ships. And the notion is, we've got nowhere to go now. We can't retreat. We're going to have to go forward. And, and it, it's this principle of sometimes you have to make a commitment and stick with the commitment that you make. Now, there are a variety of things that can help you or cause you to lose focus. Um, it, it could be busyness can cause you to lose focus, or disappointment can cause you to lose focus, conflict or sin or uh, problem relationships, those kind of things. And, and here's a truth that's kind of interesting to me. Not everything that causes us to lose focus is really necessarily bad. It's just not the best. Uh, there's a story in, in um, Scripture about, uh, in Luke 10, about a, a couple of sisters, Martha and Mary. And Jesus comes to their home, and Martha busies herself with preparing kind of a meal and, and making, she's a great hostess, evidently, so she prepares things. And Mary, her sister, she sits at the feet of Jesus, and she listens. And I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where you sort of anticipate somebody should help you. I'm usually on the end of, I'm the one that somebody thinks I should be doing more, you know. But maybe you've been in the position of Martha, and, and you're preparing, and you're stinking sister, and, you know, carrying her weight, and that kind of thing. And, and we see this story in Luke 10, and, and Martha was busy with all the work to be done, so she goes up to Jesus and she says, sir, don't you care that my sister has been leaving me to do all this work by myself? Can you say passive aggressive? I mean, good grief. She doesn't even, she doesn't confront her sister. She says, Jesus, don't you care that my sister, Mary, slacker, uh, don't you care that she's not doing her part? I mean, it's kind of funny. Uh, don't you care? However, Jesus answered her, Martha, Martha, you're fretting and worrying about... It. Let me translate this. Settle down. Good grief. He basically says, good grief. In the Greek, it says, good grief. Settle down. There's only one thing that is essential. And Mary has chosen the right thing. And it won't be taken away from her. Now, here's what's interesting. Is it important that your guests feel like you've prepared, well, that's a good thing. It's not bad. Preparing a meal, good. How many here like to eat? I mean, I think we all would say this is a good thing, preparing a meal, a good thing. Martha wasn't doing anything wrong, particularly. She just wasn't doing the best thing. And we can get so focused on doing relatively good things that we miss the best thing. And, and Jesus said, listen, the, the one thing that she really needs is to listen, and I'm not going to take that away from her. And so, what we're going to do today, we're going to talk about 
Paul talks about in this text, here are some things you can do to maintain your focus. Now, Paul's focus, he said, you know, this one thing I do, I, 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 I want to know Christ. I want to know Jesus better. This is better than anything else, better than making money, better than being great at my business or whatever it is, being a great athlete. The best thing I can do, the one thing I want to focus on is knowing Christ. And so he tells us how to maintain focus on this. And the first thing he says is, uh, you find a Christian, good Christian, solid Christian role model. Now, this verse has always bothered me just a little bit. Because, look, look, dear brothers and sisters, pattern your life, pattern your lives after mine. And I've got to tell you, that seems a little arrogant to me. It always seemed a little presumptuous. You know, it's a little bit, a little cocky. Hey, Model your life after mine. Follow me as I follow Christ, he says in another place. Now, our little bracelets, they don't say, what would PD, what would Paul do? They, what would, WWJD doesn't mean what would Joe do. It's what would Jesus do. So why would Paul say, hey, 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 uh, why don't you follow me? Well, here's, here's, this is interesting. Five sentences earlier. He said, I'm striving to be like Christ. And then he says in verse 12, I've not attained it yet. I'm not even, I'm not there. I'm still working toward it. And I think what Paul was saying is this. People love role models. They just love them. The problem with people, role models, is sometimes they're going to disappoint us. That doesn't mean we can't look at them or look to them. I think Paul was saying, look, at least I'm trying to follow Christ with all my life. I would rather you follow me as I follow Christ than somebody who doesn't care. <laughs> I mean, at least I'm trying. And I think we could say to our kids, look, we're, we're going to make mistakes as parents, but at least we're trying to follow Christ. Whether you say it or not, if you're a Christian parent, you are saying it, whether you verbalize it or not. Because our kids look to us. The, the weight of this, for me as a dad, I, I mean, I just, I'm like, oh my word. Because I know how many times I've made mistakes. And, and I know how many times I've not met the challenge or reached the, the mark that I want to as a dad. And I know that my kids are looking to me as a model. And it, it's just kind of how it, how it works. There's a really interesting article I read a couple of days ago. It's called, um, Let's Learn from the Elephants kind of interesting. And, and in this article, it talks about um, there, there was this herd of elephants and they were going to try to manage, the, the government was going to try to manage this herd. And so they, uh, they killed off the older bulls and all that was left were these, um, the female elephants and these young bull elephants. And they kind of put them in a new location well, in this new location, all of a sudden, they started find, finding white rhinos who had been killed, not by poachers. But these young bull elephants were kind of showing out. They were kind of trying to, you know, prove themselves a little bit. Um, they, they even started attacking tour buses. They were in a gang. Uh, they uh, had do-rags on. I mean, you know, they, they really ganged up a little bit. And, and so what they had to do, this is really interesting, they had to introduce some older bulls from other 
herds into this herd. Because the older guys, the older bulls were like, boys, you're going to settle down. We're going to make you settle down. And I don't know if you've ever been around young men, but they kinda, they're kind of active. They kind of do a lot of stuff. And, and old guys like us, we'll, we'll, t- we'll temper them a little bit. Now settle down, settle down, settle down. And we need people in our lives that can tell us when to amp it up and when to settle down. And we need that. And there, Have you ever wondered why Jesus chose 12 disciples to hang out with? I mean, he hung out with them all the time. They did life together 24 hours a day. They were always together. And they, they traveled together, and Jesus would preach, and the disciples were there, and they were learning from this rabbi, and that was kind of how it worked. And, and Jesus was with this group of guys, building relationships with them. Well, in Mark 10, there's this story about um, James and John, a couple of brothers, and they go to Jesus and they say, Jesus, we're going to ask you a favor. <laughs> we want to do for us what we ask. And, and Jesus is like, well, I don't, know, I, I don't know if I can do that. What are you asking? Tell me what you're asking for. And they said, well, we don't want much. Just when you come into power, we want to be the two most important people after you. I mean, no, no big deal. Uh, we just kind of want to be important next to you. Now, interestingly enough, look at this verse. When the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. Why do you think they were indignant? Because they hadn't thought of it first. It's brilliant. Have you ever looked at a sticky note and thought to yourself, this guy is a billionaire today because he put a little glue at the top of a a piece of paper. I mean, you ever thought about that? Have you ever looked at inventions and thought to yourself, I could have done that. Look, I look at the combustion engine, I couldn't have done that. Can't do that. I can put glue on a piece of paper. I mean, I could have done that. I could be a millionaire today if I had thought of putting a little glue on the top of a piece of paper. These guys, they were looking at James and John, and they were indignant, but mostly, I think, because it's like, ah, man, that's brilliant. We kind of want to be important, too. And I don't want you to miss this, because Jesus had a relationship with these guys. He's able to speak truth into their lives. Now, this is a little, if, if you're not in relationship somebody, with somebody, this can keep, seem a little harsh. So Jesus called all of them together. And he said, you know that the rulers of the world lorded over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it's going to be, we're not, this, <laughs> that's not how we're going to behave. We don't play that. That's the way other people do stuff. That's the way the world seems. That's the way the world works. But not so with us. We're going to be different than this. We're not going to, we're not going to seek power so that we can uh, put other people down. Because that's what, uh, that's what the world does. It's not how we're going to behave. Not so with us. Among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be a servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave. For I came not to be served, but to serve others and to give my life as a ransom for many. Jesus was able to speak truth into their lives because he had spent hours with them, days with them. They had relationship. Jesus was their mentor. He was a role model to these 12 men. Interestingly enough, even Judas didn't get this. I mean, he was with Jesus a long time, three years or so. And yet he didn't get it. I mean, we can be with great role models. It doesn't always rub off. 
You can be a great parent that doesn't always rub off. I mean, Jesus had 12 guys, and one of them fell away. So, some, you know, people make their own decisions. I do carry the weight as a parent, as a dad, sometimes of, hey, I hope I'm a good role model. But my kids still make their own decisions. And you may have been a great dad, you might be a great mom, and your kids haven't behaved or haven't responded the way that you would hope. Your responsibility is to do the best you can to follow Christ as closely as you can. And, and that's what Paul was saying. Look, I am, I'm trying. I, I want to know Christ more. You can follow. I'll be a model for you. Follow me as I follow Jesus. We'll kind of learn together. So number one, one of the greatest ways to stay focused is to have a role model in your life that's a good, solid Christian role model. I have, I, when I grew up, uh, our church... Um, pastor his name was uh, Bill Hall Brother Hall we called him and Brother Hall I mean I saw him get mad and I saw him do stuff and but listen he was a role model for me my daddy was a role model for me I had the good fortune of having a good dad who was a great role model for me not everybody has that but I ha I've had a few my father-in-law great role model for me I mean he is he's brilliant and loves Jesus and I mean I, what what great what great blessing I've had to have good Christian men in my life that I had a good opportunity to follow. So that's number one. Number two is you have to kind of be aware of where you are, your current behavior. We talked about this a bit last week. For I've told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, what's interesting about this text, and Miriam and I were talking about it the other day, is that... He's not talking about, when he talks about enemies of the cross of Christ, he's not talking about atheists or people of another religion. He's talking about Christians whose behavior isn't representative, isn't a good representation of what Christ is or who Christ is. It's a tender little verse. I, I mean, I, I think, I say it with tears in my eyes. I mean, it's a tender verse. It makes him sad when people who claim to be Christians, don't act Christianly. Um, George Barner, you may know who this is. He's a Christian researcher. He does um, research on the culture and those sorts of things. And, and he found recently that 54% of Americans indicated they want, uh, that they wanted uh, their commitment to uh, be deeper with Christ. They want to have a deeper commitment uh, to, to a connection to God. 54%. And that's encouraging. 54% of Americans want a deeper commitment to Christ, and, and that's really good. And, and so the question is, if that is like, generally speaking, in America, 54% want a closer connection to God, what do you think the percentage would be of evangelical Christians? I mean, like people like us. If regular, average Joe American wants, 54% of them want more of a relationship with God, You'd think it would be better for evangelicals, except it was only 49%. We're not any better. In fact, we're worse at wanting a, a, a stronger commitment. And the percentage of Americans who said their faith is of highest priority, 15%, and in, in evangelical Christians, it was 18%. And, and the reason I tell you these stats is there's just not a lot of difference. It, it should be, <laughs> we should be different. There should be a distinctiveness about us that says we do want a stronger connection to Christ and, and we do want our behavior to be better 
than regular people. And we do want to strive for, for more than just what everybody else does. We should want to strive for more than what everybody else does. In Ephesians it says, So I tell you and encourage you in the Lord's name not to live any longer like other people in the world. Don't live like folk. You don't have to do everything everybody else is doing. Their minds are set on worthless things. They no longer have any sense of shame. They have become promiscuous. But that is not what you learned from Christ's teaching. He was saying, look, we're representing. We can represent well or not well. We're representing. I read about, I've never been to New York City, so I didn't know this went on, but evidently there are people who dress up in costumes and they take pictures with tourists. Anybody seen this in New York? Oh, we have seen it. Okay, good. Now, look at these characters. It's uh, Cookie Monster. Is that who that is on the blue? Let's go with Cookie Monster. Um, that's Mario. Oh, Mario, sorry. Uh, sorry for the pronunciation. Um, oh, the blue guy isn't. Is Cookie Monster on the right? No, that's Elmo. And the little girl there, that's uh, Minnie Mouse. Who's the blue one? Oh, it is Cookie Monster. Well, you all weren't giving it to me. Okay, all right, all right. It's Cookie Monster, but we're not going to say. Okay, it's Cookie Monster. Okay, good, good. It's like, we're going to make him work for it. We're just not going to give it to him. Okay. Evidently, <laughs> the people in the costumes don't always represent the character well. Um, listen, listen to this. Um, there's one performer, a Cookie Monster, um, pushed a New York City police officer after resisting arrest for harassing a tourist. Evidently, the tourist didn't want to pay. Um, Cookie Monster, let's see, uh, was also accused of shoving a two-year-old. Uh, Super Mario uh, was charged with groping a woman. <laughs> That's not a good look, dude. And um, Elmo was booked for yelling anti-Semitic slurs at tourists. So, can you imagine, you're, you're, you take your kid to New York, you know, the kid's six years old, seven years old, they love Elmo. Oh, Daddy, let's take a picture with Elmo. Yeah, let's do that. We walk up to Elmo. Elmo's smoking a cig, you know, he's, uh, he's cussing under his breath. You're taking the picture. And, and, and you are offended as a dad because the character isn't living up to the reputation. Well, okay. Paul was saying in that last verse, we who are Christians have a reputation. Um, Christ, well, let's put it this way. Christ had a reputation. And we have to live up to loving people. Here's the thing in, in America today. Sometimes people want to put words in Christ's mouth. Understand something. Jesus also talked about sin. It's okay to talk about sin. He called certain things wrong. He caught the woman in adultery and he said, go and sin no more. He didn't say, what you're doing isn't wrong. He said, I, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. It's okay to say, this is sin. Uh, what you're doing isn't right. I can say it lovingly. Uh, look at this text. They are headed for destruction. This is verse 19. He's talking about Christians, by the way. Their God is their appetite. 
They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. Let me give you some traps to avoid. If we're going to stay focused, one is self-centeredness. When he says their God is their appetite, he's not talking just about food, by the way. It's this mentality that says, especially in our world today, if it feels good, finish the sentence. If it feels good, if loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. That's right. Okay. Here, here's, if you get nothing else, here's truth. This is truth. Just because you want to do something doesn't mean you have to do it. Can I get a witness? I mean, this is true. Just because you want to do something, you have an urge, you have an inclination, uh, you want to do it. Just because you want to doesn't mean you have to. People will say, well, I'm a slave to my urges. No, you're not. You, you choose. We're not animals who have to do what our urges tell us to do. We choose. There's, there's this thing in spiritual life uh, called denial. Uh, at, there's a time before Easter called Lent. And people give up stuff all the time for Lent. And it's a spiritual discipline. And these disciplines are sort of like, spiritual disciplines are exercises for your soul. And, and they're, let me give you, fasting. Fasting is when I give up food for a time so I can concentrate on, on focusing on on God and on prayer. And it's okay to give up food for a while. Uh, it's called fasting. Uh, some people, uh, there's this uh, spiritual discipline called solitude. We talked about it a little bit last week. Solitude is just when I get away, I unplug. Uh, I, I get alone and quiet with God. And I don't have distractions. And I don't have the television blaring. And I don't have the radio on. And I don't have my phone in front of me. I, I just focus on God. It's called solitude. Frugality, that's a spiritual discipline. It's seeing something that you want that you don't need that then you don't buy. Too many people, if I see it and I want it, I get it, even though I don't really need it. I just want it, so I get it, even though I don't need it. Just because you want something doesn't mean you have to have it. You don't have to get it. Chastity, it is giving up sex. The, the, Paul talks about it in the Corinthian letters. Sometimes even Christians do this for a time in order to focus on God. These spiritual disciplines, they are exercises for our soul. There's a reason that advertising is, is targeted. Um, if I'm watching football, you know, what, you know what they advertise when football's on? They advertise beer and pizza. Because we are compulsive. It's like, oh, I, I, I should do this. I should do this. This is something I should do. Um, just because you want to do something or you want something doesn't mean you have to do it. It doesn't mean you have to have it. It is okay to tell yourself no. It, it really is. It's okay to say no. So number one, this, this whole notion of self-centeredness. Number two, Desensitization. I can say it, <laughs> but only once. Uh, they brag about shameful things. Have you ever been around somebody that brags about shameful things? When, when I was younger, you know, when you're a, a young buck and you're hanging out with your boys, your boys talk about stuff that you wouldn't talk about if your mama was around. Talk about shameful things. Uh, I, I had a job one time, and um, 
the guys at my job would talk about how wasted they would get on a weekend or how many women they were betting or that, I mean, just that kind of conversation. I've been around that. You understand what he talks about when he's saying um, they brag about shameful things. Here's the problem. If we're not careful, we get numb to the sin all around us. Miriam and I have a a nice home. Uh, Sometimes we invite people over. In fact, we have an offer on the table right now. If you want to come and hang out, uh, if you're relatively new, new to the church, dinner with the staff is coming up. Uh, next Sunday night, we're going to have one, another one in August. And if you haven't signed up yet, we'd love you to do that. Here's the deal, though. When we invite people over, guess what happens? Do you know what, ha- what, what happens at your house when you invite people over? You clean up, right? You clean up. What, what do you start noticing? All the stuff you haven't been noticing? Dust bunnies. They are everywhere. Not at our house, but, you know, other houses, other houses. Dust bunnies. There's clutter. The mail piles up on the kitchen table. Um, let's see, what else do other people have at their houses? Um, uh, laundry, you know, kind of in a corner. Uh, shoes everywhere. We got shoes everywhere. I got a 10-year-old. You know how many pairs of shoes she has? Nobody knows. It's infinite. Uh, there are shoes everywhere. Uh, that kid... I swear, I don't know that she has a place for all of her shoes because they are every place. Our, basically, our home is a closet for her shoes. They, they are every place, every place. Uh, so all of a sudden, when somebody's coming to your house, now you get real intentional about noticing things that you may have never noticed before. Oh, look, there's, there's a cobweb there I've never seen before. I'm, I'm going to get my little vacuum thingy, my wand, and... and suck that down and and I'm going to wipe off the counter and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and and this light bulb is out now I'm going to replace this light bulb because we're having guests over and what happens to us when nobody comes over is we get desensitized to it and if we see it day after day after day we sort of just stop noticing it and that's what he's talking about here if we are immersed day after day after day We stop noticing stuff. And then there's short-sightedness. They think only about this life here on earth. See, this is going to lead me right into the next point. There's more than just this life. So another way to stay focused is we anticipate eternity. Look at what he says the last couple of verses of chapter 3. We uh, are citizens of heaven. Where the Lord Jesus lives. We are currently, evidently, somehow, citizens of heaven. I don't exactly know how that works because I don't feel like I'm in heaven right now. Um, But we have a reservation. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. And he will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies. Great news for some of us. Yeah, I I hear that testimony. Uh, Like his own, using the same power with which... He will bring everything under his control. The older I get, the happier I am that eventually I get a new body. Um, Let let me show you a picture. This is James and Mary Calvert. Uh, Back in the um, mid-1800s, 1832. Can you imagine? 1832. James and Mary Calvert got on a ship headed for Fiji as missionaries to work with cannibals i got to tell you, 
um, if my, one of my kids were to write me or call me today and say, Daddy, I feel called to go work with the cannibals. I don't know what you do with that. They felt called to go to Fiji to work with the cannibals. And as they were about to disembark the ship, the, the captain <laughs> pleaded with them, don't do this, you're going to die here. And this is what Calvert said, we died before we ever came here. We died to ourselves before we got on the ship. He, he was talking about what Paul says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. We, we died before we got on the ship, so if we die here, we just get to go to heaven faster. This was sort of his mentality. And they saw amazing things. One king, I, I've got the name here, I've I practiced all morning. I'm going to say it, and you're going to act like it's right. Okay, because I'm pretty sure I'm not going to say it right. Kakobau. Thank you, yes, yes. King Kakobau became a follower of Jesus. Now, so he stopped eating people. I gave up polygamy. His life changed because of Christ in his life. I mean, the Calvert saw amazing things. On his tombstone, um, this was written, James Calvert's tombstone. Of this blessed man, let this praise be given. Heaven was in him before he was in heaven. It's kind of cool if you think about it. When secretly we hope and pray that God gives us comforts, pleasant circumstances, not too much trouble, if all we want in this life is ease, perhaps we're missing, we're settling for less than what God wants for us. I'm not sure you can pray for comfort and God's will at the same time. What if God wants us to go through some trials in order to become better people? What if God, I mean, Jesus went through some difficult stuff. He went through difficulty. He had people on his case. He had lots of people conspiring to kill him. People didn't like him. His followers, like Paul, Paul got stoned with rocks, Paul got shipwrecked, Paul was imprisoned, falsely accused of things. Peter, same thing, you look at all the early followers of Jesus, it wasn't an easy road. And yet those men and those women of the first century did amazing things. It wasn't easy. I don't know in scripture where it says, hey, this is going to be real easy for you. It, it, didn't Jesus say, in this world you will have trouble? In this world, it's not, even, it's not even like you might not have trouble. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. It's going to be tough sometimes. You'll get right through it. One application is, Paul says, look to me. You have to wonder, you and I have to wonder, who's looking to us? Who is saying, hey, those people are Christians. Are our neighbors looking at us? Are our, the people that our kids go to school with, are their parents looking at us? And are they saying, those people are Christians? I wonder what kind of joy they have. I wonder how they handle 
troubling times? How do they get through difficulty? Because here, when we become followers, we choose. We choose to value obedience to God over earthly success. We choose to serve others rather than to be served, like Jesus said. We choose to be generous rather than to hoard. We choose to walk by faith, not by sight. We choose to take up our cross. We choose to love our enemies. We, we choose to live differently. We choose it. It's our choice. We make the choice to choose to live differently. Now, here's the good news. He'll take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own because we're citizens of heaven, he said the verse before, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Let me end with, a, with an illustration. I brought a suitcase today. It's an old one. Now, when I go on a trip, I, I take a suitcase, much like this. Uh, Miriam's is, uh, anyway, uh, mine's a little, and uh, pop it open, and I got, there's stuff, there's stuff in here, um, and it's been here a while. Um, anyway, now, two ways to handle this. If you're going to stay a while, what do you, you every, every hotel I've ever been to, almost, I guess, I, I can't say, many of the hotels I've gone to have like chests of drawers, and you could pull your stuff out. What is that? Uh, you can pull your stuff out and put it in the drawers, or you can work out of your suitcase. What do you do? Yeah, I mostly work out of the suitcase. You want to know why? Because I'm not staying there long term. When you move to a house, <laughs> sometimes you pack stuff in suitcases. But when you get to your house, you take stuff out of the suitcase. There's a difference between a trip and a permanent residence. Trip, you could live out of your suitcase. Permanent residence, you're there for the long haul. We need to begin to think about, this isn't going to close. Uh, we, need to, we need to consider this. This life is a short stay compared to eternity. This is like a trip. We, we don't put all our eggs in this basket. We're not going to unpack because this is only for a short term. I mean, if you live 80, 90, 100 years in relationship to eternity... 80, 90, 100 years is really a short trip because eternity is eternal. It's really long. Don't invest your whole life in this. When this is going to be so much longer, when this is going to be so much more permanent, why would we invest in short term when we can invest in long term? Part of staying focused is, okay, okay, okay. I'm having difficulty in the short term. But in the long term, God has promised me eternity with him. And in Revelation it says there's no crying and no tears and it's a place of joy. And this tells me I get a new body. And so maybe I need to shift my focus from, from the from the now to the future. If 
I need to invest, maybe the future is the place to invest. In fact, I think that's the wisest thing you could do is to invest in the future. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these reminders today that you do put people in our lives that can be role models. And you do give us the opportunity to focus on important things, not temporal, unpermanent things. And Lord, we're thankful for the opportunity that you give us to choose to live a different life than everyone else, to choose to follow you. And then when it gets tough and when people say bad things about us, we're reminded that they said bad things about you too. Lord, we love you and we thank you for the opportunity that you give us to be a part of your family, to be a part of your representatives on this planet and help us to do it well. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.